Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode from um, Klaus Blackwords. Today, I have Mars on the call. Mars is a really good friend of mine. We met exactly 10 years ago in London at a startup event. We share lots of common interests, uh, startup, health, crypto, personal development. We did Tony Robbins together. So I'm looking forward to a really, really cool, awesome interview talking about climate change. Hey, Mars, how are you doing today? Hi, thank you for the introduction. I'm very, very good. Uh, just out of curiosity, my accent is coming from Poland. Uh, sometimes I may sound like a James Bond villain, but I live in London for more than a decade. We met ages ago and because we share so many common interests, that's why our relationship uh, remains. It is growing stronger. Right now we are recording a podcast. We'll talk about climate change and a couple of other related subjects. Uh, just before this recording, we had like a little logistics and scheduling call. So most likely we will split this long conversation into three separate episodes. Uh, yes, thank you very much for having me. No worries. Yeah, no, thank you for just um, summarizing it again. I think that's a really important point. So I think both Mars and I, we have very broad interests. And from experience, I know that if you have a podcast episode and you talk about a million things, it's a bit confusing for the listener. So exactly like Mars said, we decided to um, break it into three distinct sections. And today we want to talk about climate change, uh, food shortage, um, obviously mass migration is a big part. And may, I think the question for today, Mars, is like, is it too late, right? Do we still have hope or is all hope lost? Is it too late for climate change? That is such an interesting, controversial, politically charged. This is, you get uh, five people in the room and you get 17 opinions. And uh, personally, <laughs> personally, my own opinion is evolving. Personally, I have three different viewpoints. Some of them are contradictory, but they are actually not contradictory. And I will give you an example. So yes, maybe yes. you've heard of uh, tipping points. There is yeah. like there was, I would say there is a stable system that a stable system, if there is some extreme, it goes back to this uh, equilibrium. But unstable system, it's like a heavy a steel ball rolling off the hill. And as this steel ball accelerates due to gravity and slope and going down faster and faster, it's beyond point of a no return. So when you look at the various Earth systems, uh, you know, there's different estimates, different measurements, satellite data. So I think that the data says it is too late. So, you know, the NASA scientists, European Space Agency, the glaciologists, the guys in uh, Amazon forest, they conclude, okay, it is too late. So it is too late, but yeah. we can still mitigate the damage. We can still exactly. buy us more time. We can still adapt. We can still, you know, acknowledge the facts. Okay. So the Earth in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years will not be the same. And then we have this, uh, I would say, as humans, we are not good at predicting exponential changes. We're not good at predicting anything, right? <laughs> future, you cannot predict the future. 
Um, I'll just interrupt you real brief. So um, just to summarize it for the listeners, so this is the first part, climate change. The second part will be um, crypto technology, blockchain, technology in general, news, um, fake economy, fake news, attention economy. That's our second batch. And the third batch will be um, the current economic and financial situation. So yes, we will talk about the war in Ukraine. We will talk about the implications. We'll talk about um, China, the rising power, inflation, Argentina. Um, yeah, and then at the end, we will end the last episode with a multi-planetary discussion. So Mars, obviously, <laughs> the Mars. So uh, Mars, when are we going to land in Mars and live in Mars will be the last, the third um, episode, right? Mm, yes, we really tried to come up with some clear, consistent uh, structure because uh, we are both passionate about the subjects we are talking. Like this is our live. We wouldn't invest our energy in talking about traffic, football game, you know, the weather. These are very important subjects. And uh, I would say I would like to acknowledge my privilege because uh, believe it or not, I am a male of the Caucasian ethnicity. I have a high education. I live in a major city. So on the global scale, I'm, I'm very privileged. So me talking about, yeah, the NASA scientists concluded that the glacier, some 17 gigatons, blah, blah, 12 million square kilometers, blah, 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 0.3 millimeters per, you know, per quarter, whatever. For me, I can observe the data on the level of factual data, raw numbers, and I can, okay, agree with this, you know, rocket scientist that this is the conclusion. However, I'm not a person who lives on less than $1 per day when whether the one kilogram of rice or corn or whatever, if food prices go up by 50%, it is a difference whether I am hungry or whether I'm staying alive or whether I am going on the streets to protest against my government. And the government is, is hardly at fault. They operate within the constraints of the reality. And the reality is that the facts, the data, the science says it is too late to undo long-term uh, consequences. At the same time, it's not too late to act. It's not too late to take action. It's not too late to implement various actionable policies. I was lucky enough to be at the United Nations. Maybe okay, I'll just um, mention one more thing for the um, listeners. So um, I know Michael really, really well, and he's an extremely smart person. He's very, very talented. He knows a lot of things. And when he talks about data, he knows his shit. He's reading it. He's going through the details. And he does have a very high education. And he is just a very curious person who loves reading who loves studying and everything he says is, I can really put my word behind it. He's not a guy who just bullshits. He knows what he's talking about. Well, I would say it depends how you spend your time. You can spend your free time reading scientific reports and latest research, or you can spend your time uh, watching latest uh, reality show on a TV. And uh, 
I am actually passionate to uh, read the latest research and I find it, I would say, enjoyable, entertaining, like everyone has their own way to relax. And I was just going to say that I was at the United Nations Climate Change Conference 2017. It was in COP23 in Bonn, COP24 in Katowice, Poland, my home country, then recently COP26 in, in Glasgow. And basically, having been in this room full of negotiators, stakeholders, NGOs, government representatives, one of the conclusions I've reached based on my own personal experience, and of course, your experience may differ, is like no one has a clue. It's like very few people actually have understanding of this entire uh, big picture. So I would say politicians are good at politics. Uh, negotiators are good at negotiating. The guys uh, who are studying the, the, say, the glaciers, they are good at glaciers. And the guys studying the soil, they are good with the soil. But very few people, hardly anyone I met, has this uh, big picture. And that's why um, maybe this conversation, maybe this conversation will inspire you to uh, see the bigger picture, how the climate change is affecting uh, technology, how is it affecting the um, global crisis. And I think you, said, you just said something brilliantly. Nobody has a clue, and it includes us. We're not experts on climate change. We're not experts on migration and NASA data. But I think we are both generalists, and that sometimes can be really good and it sometimes can be really bad. Like I had job interviews where somebody asked me, hey, Klaus, what's your specialty? And I'm like, I'm a jack of all trades. I know everything a little bit, but I don't really know anything really well. <laughs> and that's not always good, but also has advantages, right? Because you do take a bit of a broader view and you connect the dots. Uh, yeah, I would say that 100 years ago, in a different type of the economy, you need to be a very specialist in one narrow area. But now we live in such an interconnected world that I really enjoy the access, access to tools, access to knowledge, access to people and resources that I have. I am a member of multiple communities, and I would say that I don't want to associate myself with only one community. I am actually see the connectedness as my bigger skill. And it is, you know, I, there are various personality tests, some psychometrics, different how, what would you do? How would you behave? What do you think? And actually connectedness is my biggest skill. So I'm just playing with the, with the cards I'm being dealt with. And yeah, being jack of all trades while having a few deep interests, I would say that my biggest uh, passion is about uh, behavioral economics, uh, game theory, uh, why people do what they do. And that actually is a nice segue to just go back. Are we full of hope or are we hopeless? Do we acknowledge the current situation? Uh, how do we actually act as a, as a humanity? How do we influence the, the, the government? Uh, does the government have any clue? And again, I was at this United Nations conferences. My personal observation is mm -mm, no one has a clue. 
And uh, that, that worries me. Like, how do we communicate the facts? And then um, we have all this, you know, say, Putin propaganda. How do we decide what is real? Like, okay, I present you this best scientific report and you can dismiss it. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a fake news. And now it's 50-50. It's either true or fake. I know that it is 100% legitimate, 10,000 scientists, uh, there's this scientists uh, warning to humanity, uh, 30,000 most uh, renowned scientists, Nobel Prize laureates, hundreds of them signed this scientists uh, warning to humanity. But then there is some random dude say in North Korea says, no, it's a, it's a fake news. And then it's 50-50, yes or no. Yeah. So I don't have an answer, but at the same time, I remain optimistic. I believe that the humanity has amazing potential to innovate. I believe that the entrepreneurs, innovators, passionate people around the world will come with, with solutions. Seriously, human ingenuity is like the biggest force in the universe. So even though on the one hand, I'm uh, realistic about the current state of the climate, politics, economy, and then whatever happens in the next iteration, I remain very optimistic about the future of, of humanity. So this is, this is not a contradiction. It is just, okay, even though humanity sucks right now, all these negative events will make us ascend to the next iteration of the humanity. Nice, nice. Yeah, I agree. I think looking at the data, it's not looking too good. <laughs> but what's the point of being negative? I think if we want to change something, we do need to bring out a positive message. Message: We have to be optimistic. And if I'm honest with you, Mars, even for my own personal health and well-being, if I go and say, okay, the world is going under, there'll be mass migration, mass starvation, we're all going to die, we're all going to shit. I'm just going to feel like shit, and I don't want to feel like shit. And we, we, you just spoke about behavioral economics, why do people do what we do? For me, is I need to have a goal, I need to have a mission, I need to have a purpose in life to strive towards something. And if my purpose and my goal is the world is going for shit, I'll just be shit, I'll just drink alcohol, smoke weed all day long and watch football and news, like you said earlier. But no, I do think there's a chance. I do think there is, there's actually a really nice saying, I think it's from Tony Robbins, actually, something along the lines of change is not a choice. The world is going to change, you all know. But progress, you can choose progress or not. And this just beautifully summarizes it. Yes, things will change, and the world will not be the same in 50 years, but we can progress. We can mitigate the risks of climate change. We can look into multiplanetary, we can look into the Mars, we can look into alternative forms of living, we can look into yeah, alternative ways of migration, working with people, forming larger communities. So I do think there's hope, and I'm very much a hopeful person and an optimistic person, and I believe it makes me a better, more, yeah, more supportive human being, more kind human being, having an optimistic and positive outline but also maintaining a realistic view on the world and the facts and the data. Yeah, um, what else were we talking about? The um, fake news, definitely. I can definitely um, relate to that, that um, the 
hundreds and hundreds and thousands of scientists agreeing on one topic. But then on the other hand, you have um, one or two organizations, for example, climate change. I believe, I'm 100% sure that Shell and all these bastards, all these <laughs> fossil fuel companies, that they will um, sponsor studies and scientific studies. And they have millions and billions, right? They're rich ass companies. They will use their money to um, fund fake studies and then spread the lies about, oh, climate change is not real. And I don't know, fossil fuels is not proven that they get something wrong. So, yes, they are very big organizations in the background. Mars, what do you think about um, big <laughs> energy companies like Shell um, funding projects and funding research studies that you know, fossil fuels are not dangerous and they will not cause climate change? What do you think about that? Of course, uh, the, I as a doctor, I recommend you smoke camels because uh, camels uh, give you the smile and your throat is very happy when you give this cigarette, this nicotine, all these chemicals. I think that the playbook of the uh, climate disinformation is very similar to the, the tobacco industry. I'm actually hoping that uh, we will make it illegal, like spreading misinformation can be dangerous. I would say that the flat earth society is is funny. Flat earth is not dangerous. Like even if I you know, do a massive mass action to claim flat earth or hollow earth or flat Mars or whatever, something completely ridiculous, it is not dangerous. However, climate change disinformation has negative long-term consequences. There was recently, there was a hearing in the US Congress and the top scientists working for, it was probably Exxon, uh, they knew about climate change in 70s. Uh, they were just, you know, by then Exxon was the most valuable company on the planet. Right now we have uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, sometimes stock fluctuates. They just, you know, most valuable companies. Back then it was Exxon. And they knew about 50 years ago, and they had a very accurate estimates about the CO2 parts per million and the climate, the increased temperature. But what they didn't knew back then is non-linear changes. We were talking about the tipping points. So I think they, they were operating legally within their existing framework, which is to maximize the shareholders' profit. And spreading lies is not illegal. This is just like a marketing strategy. And I think that it's, it's worth mentioning. There is the campaign called Stop Ecocide. Basically, that says that the actions against the nature, actions that make environment polluted, destroyed, dirty, you know, not habitable, this should become the, the crime. We can agree that there are certain types of crimes, such as murder, rape, theft. This, these are crimes across all the legal systems, across all the religions, across all the cultures. However, we still didn't figure out that crimes against nature are crimes. But again, this is this is changing. They say in Ecuador, they, they, they have the law against it. In India, 
they gave the rivers the the legal personhood. In New Zealand, they have this. In Bhutan, they have this. In such and such country, they have this. Uh, so I would say that we need to uh, update update the laws. And speaking of the big oil concerns spreading misinformation, uh, one of them was again. I'm not sure exactly which one, but they are pretty much the same type of vibe. One was about the shifting the responsibility towards the humans, consumers, people, that I should understand my carbon footprint. It is about my carbon uh, you know, efficiency, taking uh, shorter showers, cycling to work, using energy, efficient light bulbs. And I think that at this point in... At this point in time, it doesn't really matter. Sorry, I need to interrupt you because I so agree with you. It pisses me off when people come to me. It's like, oh, you left your light bulb on at night. Why do you do that? It's like, it's an LED light bulb. It takes so little energy. It's like, I don't know, 10p to run for 24 hours, 10 cents. It makes no difference to the world if I turn that light bulb off or on. If I shower for five minutes instead of seven minutes, it will not save this earth. I'm really sorry. I have to say that so clearly for everybody who is listening. Yes, please go ahead, do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you think you make a lasting, a massive impact on the world, we don't. We need big changes. We need completely reorganization of our energy production. And showering for two minutes less will not save this earth, right, Mike Mars? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will give you the actual example. It was a year 2010. I was a student back then. So being a student, uh, not much money, but loads of time. I was hitchhiking in uh, Spain from Madrid to Portugal, a boom festival, fantastic event, highly recommended. So I am in August in Spain. It was hot as hell, 40 Celsius. And it was literally August, middle of the summer, uh, 40 degrees Celsius, uh, I would say it's like 100 Fahrenheit. It was hot and dry. And you see this giant industrial agriculture, these giant sprinklers, like everywhere up into the horizon, just watering the plants. And, you know, I'm getting a message, you know, save water. <laughs> and then you have like... And of course, I think that telling the truth has very... A positive influence because there are people who could say, yes, I'm doing my part. I'm using energy efficient light bulbs. I'm taking shorter showers. I'm cycling to work. I am doing A, B, C, and D and F. I'm investing loads of my conscious, you know, loads of my mental energy, financial energy. Like I, I live by the principles and someone who could use their time efficiently, like really make use of their time, energy, skill, effort, passion, dedication, because they are passionate. And now they can say, well, I'm doing my part. And it's hard to say that, you know, your part doesn't really matter. I actually leave my computer on because even if I, it's in some sleep or hibernation, I want to be in the flow all the time. I don't want to wait five seconds for it to turn on. This five seconds of my brain power is more important than 0.01 kilowatt hours that costs 50 cents uh, over a month. The same with my night light. Of course, I don't want to uh, get an injury walking 
on the staircase at night. I just keep the light on. It is three watts. It is such a negligible amount of value. And if you want to convince me to save energy, please price the energy accordingly. I really don't like subsidies and this whole... That's actually a nice nice segue about... yeah. Professor, before we do segue, I need to, I need to comment on that because I so agree. Um, so how do you use your personal time? And yes, it makes you more efficient. You don't have to switch between waiting for your computer to turn up. You reduce your hazard. And the way... What I'm, what I'm thinking is um, we as humans, actually, not let's not talk about humans. Let's just talk about me. I do a few things to improve my productivity, such as I leave the light on occasionally. I leave my laptop running or it's at least on standby or it's quickly to resume. I, um, I don't know what else. I fly to Germany occasionally. So there's certain things I do and there's certain things I do that cost energy that save me time. So let's say when you add everything together, the light bulb, the computer, and I'm being lazy and ordering an Amazon, I could walk to a shop, right? But I'm lazy. Or well, it saves me five minutes, it saves me 10 minutes, it saves me half an hour, it saves me two hours if I have to go to central London to a specialist store. So let's just say, hypothetically, I save 10 hours a month by, not, by slightly wasting energy. What if I invest those 10 hours a month to do a proper campaign, start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, and really go on about the massive changes that we need in this world. And I know you're going to talk about a few more things, but if I work 10, 20 hours a month on creating the best content I can to educate people, to educate employees, to educate, most importantly, our politicians, then massive, massive change is needed. Then in the long run, your impact on energy reduction, on climate change, and all of these topics will be infinitely times larger. If you can somehow create a podcast, create a YouTube channel that will influence a few policymakers, politicians to make the real change, the big changes that we need that we, you already spoke about, such as the, um, was it the eco law where you make it illegal to spread fake news? If, you, if you'd be able to make one tiny change which has an impact on the world, your impact will be and quite million gazillion times larger than you turning off the light every couple of days. <laughs> Would you agree, Michael? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm, I we are in the same same train of thoughts, and that's why throughout the years we just uh, you know meet each other for a barbecue, uh, go together for a parties. It's good, good to have friends like you who actually are on the same wavelength. I totally believe in the concept of like leveraging your time. Uh, exactly. Like one, one example is like I'm doing a bathroom refurbishment in my house and I've just realized I cannot do everything perfectly. Like me choosing the tiles, whether they are made of ceramic or porcelain, whether they are squared or rectangular, whether they are gloss or matte, I've realized it's impossible for me to make a perfect choice. So I just thought, okay, my time and energy is more important. And I just went with some choices that are maybe not perfect, but they are good enough. And this is a good analogy to life that sometimes, you know, perfection is some illusionary state that sometimes good enough is, is good enough and I'm happy to roll with it. 
So speaking of your personal personal action, I think that an organization called Extinction Rebellion is doing something right. And depending which media sources you consume, they may be portrayed as extremists or people who are annoying. But the annoyance, being annoying, is actually part of the game. The protest has to be annoying. If the protest is not annoying, then no one will notice. This is just, you know, the definition. This is the principle. So now in the UK, they are going to change the law. And I'm not sure if this law will be enacted or not. But this, uh, if this change in law happens, it is effectively a Nazi Germany back to, you know, 30s, uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, there's no freedom of speech. Basically, they want to make the protests illegal. And oh. protesting is a part of a democracy. Like this is pretty much freedom of speech, freedom of expression. If you cannot protest, then the government, well, it's just, of course, someone say, say, no, you cannot compare Hitler to Nazi Germany, blah, 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 blah. But this is essentially it. If you can, if you don't have a freedom of speech, if you don't, if you cannot protest, if the uh, people in democracy cannot go on streets to oppose the government. That is effectively the green light for government to do whatever they want. Yeah, no, I, I'll just summarize it for the audience. So um, Priti Patel is suggesting a new um, law around police, crime, sentencing and court. It's, I think it's called the Police, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill 2021. And yes, exactly like you said, the goal is to create and make it illegal um, to use, was it to use uh, free speech without consent, blah, 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 something like that. It's just some bullshit, basically. And exactly like you said, this is a right that we have. It's a given right in our constitution. I, actually, I don't think the UK has a constitution, but Germany does. I know that for sure. <laughs> and taking that away is just like, I, I, I'm speechless. Okay, this is actually a slightly deeper subject because this this policing act has uh, 300 pages. It is a very, very thick book full of law. And of course, uh, there is uh, child pornography and terrorism. The child pornography and terrorism is, uh, is working consistently throughout the generations because it's very difficult to be for terrorism. It's like very difficult to say yes uh, or be for child pornography. So it's, yeah, let's do 300 pages low act, put some fear, put some misinformation, put some propaganda, and then somewhere inside, let's just make protesting illegal. That's why uh, it is that there are protests against the, this new law. It is called Kill, Kill the Bill. And uh, usually I'm not involved in the politics. I'm not really uh, thinking that going on the streets, you know, I am like a maker, doer, just acting with my, you know, mind with tinkering and using resources. But in this particular situation, I think that me uh, going on the streets to protest is actually one of the last chances to exercise freedom of speech before we go directly into the Orwell and 1984. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So if I'm honest with you, so I can maybe tell a little bit more about me briefly. Um, 
I started a podcast on um, spirituality, personal growth, and religion, Christianity, um, last year to be the most liberal Christian podcast. And yeah, I, I was, I feel there was some guidance in, in me, uh, uh, some voice telling me you should work in that area. And I, I think I'm quite spiritual, to be honest. And I listen to, it doesn't have to be God, but like a higher power. I feel like sometimes I get input from a higher power or some kind of input. Working on that podcast, I've had the feeling that if you really, and even talking to you now, Mars, if you really want to change this world, if you make lasting change, you have to go into politics. So I'm now, I've, I was on your page for like my whole life, but the last couple of months I started thinking, if I want to do proper, proper change, like we said earlier, be pragmatic, use your time in the best way possible. Maybe my best use of time would actually to be eventually go in politics and be wild and loud and, and speak out the, the truth and be be truthful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know what? I have some thoughts about it. I was also thinking about the politics, about the government. And I have a slightly different angle of it. First of all, now I am uh, 35, so I can legally become the president of Poland. Previously, it was prohibited by the law, by the constitution, you need to be 35 years of age. Now I can meet this criterion. So I was thinking about going into the politics. And then I was actually thinking what makes democracy a democracy? What makes the voting system uh, you know, the way it is? So I was actually thinking that I can build the parallel system. I can build this new world order. I can build new institutions. And at some point, it's just like you hey, say, drive on the left-hand side of the road. And then it happened in multiple countries throughout the history. They just switch the side of the road overnight as midnight New Year. Or there was a situation in Canada when they were changing the units from imperial feet gallons into metric uh, meters and liters. Yeah. And there was a, there was a, like a flight who, an airplane. Of course, we will link it in the show notes that got, you know, half of the fuel they were supposed to get because you no, know, they were, they were changing from gallons to liters. And there was a plane up in the air with no fuel and no airport. So they were just like a, like a glider. So I would say that I am focusing on the new world order. I'm focusing on the new ways of governance, on new countries. Say there's an example of Kazakhstan. Can I interrupt you for a second, Mara? So um, yeah. we have our, <laughs> our third episode coming up about um, the um, current state of the economics would you mind um, reserving that point for there so we can keep it more on, on climate change and everything? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And that's my role at work. I'm a project manager. I'm a, um, a scrum master where I have to be the bad cop sometimes. And I have to interrupt me, me people and I have to make sure we stay on the agenda. So, Mars, I hope that's okay. I hope I'm not offending absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, uh, climate change is a human coordination problem. If people were able to reach a decision collectively and if they had the agreement about the facts and if the facts were communicated in a way that average citizen, average voter, 
average you know member of the society were able to understand the facts then climate change probably wouldn't happen but uh, as you said there was this uh, giant oil corporations spreading misinformation the exxon knew 50 years ago another concern was focusing on the personal carbon footprint you know it's my responsibility it's me taking shorter showers another guys were spreading misinformation by uh focusing hey average guy needs to understand uncertainties about the climate science because it is uncertain and actually i think this strategy is genius like someone who was thinking for these guys how to manipulate the the public uh, these guys were just brilliant too bad their intelligence and energy was invested towards a, a wrong cause sorry hold on i'm a little bit lost now what, what are you talking about yes i'll try to uh, explain this point uh, once again Uh, because we were talking about governance politics and the climate change is the failure of human coordination yeah and then we were also talking about the giant corporations who are legally working towards maximizing their profits yeah and one of the techniques one of the techniques to Ways to spread uncertainty yeah carry on business as usual you know just perpetuate the existing state was let the people uh, know that climate science is uncertain let yes. the common people understand the uncertainties about the climate science so that's that strategy is genius yeah so it's basically sowing sowing doubt yeah making yeah. people doubtful about it okay yeah i understand i think this is a really interesting topic manipulation Do you have like more insights on that? Is it something you're, you're, you're passionate about? Manipulation, how to manipulate the public? Well, one of my personal principles is radical honesty. On the one hand, I am passionate when I see a well-executed uh, hack. Say, you know, in the, in the crypto space, you see various um, fraudulent actions. And I actually, I read about uh, these, these hacks because this is like, huh, someone was really 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 smart to execute it and when it comes to mainstream media publications and how to create a movement uh, how to uh, you know deliver a message i i am like like an observer but i don't have any i don't have much experience because my my personal policy is radical honesty everything in public open by default yeah i get it yeah you never be that dishonorable and spreading lies you try to spread the best information to your knowledge and i think we both are doing this on our podcast and i'm not saying we're experts and i'm not saying we know everything but i think i know mars really really well and i can tell you from him and also from me running a spiritual podcast believing in doing good and changing this world we are talking on the best of our knowledge, we want to share, we want to be transparent and really help this make this world a better place. Um, Mars, let's talk a little bit more about electricity. I think you mentioned it earlier. Um, electricity in this country, using um, renewable energies, solar panels, putting out some solar panels. 
Uh, it's not that easy, right? Uh, it's a big system with a lot of moving parts. Can you explain a little bit to the audience? Oh, absolutely. Mm, we had a slight technical difficulty. I'm not exactly sure how much of the previous part was in place, uh, but just quick, quick re rewind. Basically, uh, in the UK, solar panels are not the best idea. This is mostly because we are uh, far north, uh, 50 degrees up north. We also have the cloud cover. We also have the population density because we are on the island, so there's actually loads of cities. And uh, we also have the existing energy grid. So putting solar in the UK doesn't make much sense. Contrary, if you are in, in Africa, if you are, say, say, Morocco, it makes, you know, they have loads of land, Sahara, they are closer to the equator, they have pretty much sun, uh, direct sunlight all the time. That's why there is one project called X-Links, and of course, links in the description. They are building a giant cable from Morocco to the UK. It is so giant, it will provide around 7 to 8% of the electricity consumption in, in the UK. It is so giant. They are building a special factory to build this cable. Just the factory to build the cable will provide 1,000 jobs. To build this solar farm on the Sahara, 10,000 jobs. This is a gigantic infrastructure project, and it's, it's brilliant in its simplicity because at any point in time, there is always a place on earth with the sun and there is always a place on earth with the wind. And if we find a way to, to transfer this energy from A to B, uh, we can operate nonstop on renewables. Uh, so installing solar panels in the UK due to just inherent geographic conditions doesn't make much sense. And what I actually don't like about it were government subsidies. Like people who own their property, who owns the house, they are on average, say, 40 times more net worth than people who are renting. So giving money to people who are already wealthy by subsidizing their solar panels in a country like UK, I just doesn't feel right. At the same time, there are various ways to make it more economically feasible, such as uh, energy storage or heat pumps, which basically means that during the summer, the generated heat is stored underground. And then in the winter, this heat is then uh, recovered to heat the, the houses. Nice. I love it. I love it. Um, I'll just jump in. So, yeah. The first part you talked about was the um, yeah the energy line between Africa between the Sahara and the UK, and it just makes so much sense to me. It's like the UK, it's often cloudy. Why don't you do it in Africa? And I think this is the way. This is the future. This is where we need to go. Having a maybe first European, pan-European slash Europe, Asian, African, Europe, African energy grid, and then making it even larger. And I think we need to think bigger, and this is the only way really to tackle climate change by doing these massive, massive improvements. Like we said earlier, if you 
shower two minutes less and you use <laughs> fossil fuels to do your shower, that won't make any difference. But if we can support an awesome project like that, which will really, really create a global energy grid, this will make a difference in the world. I think the second thing you said, the governance subsidies, I agree with you. It, there's, it's a bit of a skewed incentive system, incentivizing owners more than um, people who rent who actually have way less money. So that makes a lot of sense. I think, Mars, some other better ways is just to increase energy prices, right? Using price as a mechanism is a very, very good economic choice, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Usually price acts as an information. And if the price is fairly reflecting the, the cost uh, and, and the value, uh, that's, that would be amazing. But right now we have loads of government subsidies. Uh, loads of this money goes towards funding fossil fuels. And I would say that if we were accurately reflecting the full cost of, of the goods, including the energy emissions and the, and the water usage, right now, we in many places, people don't pay for the water. In many places, there is the law. I will use the example of California, where there was the law enacted in 1800 that if you have the parcel by the river, you can just consume any amount of water. And that law was okay in 1800s when there was just you know, a few settlers. Now we have the, the, the megapolis like Los Angeles, San Francisco. So the certain laws from 1800s are no longer applicable. Well, using common sense and logic, but they are actually still in force. So we need to pay for the water. We need to pay for CO2 emissions. We need to pay for the energy. But right now, uh, this is all artificial governments, regulations, subsidies. There is no fair market pricing. Yeah. And I'm just a consumer. I act rationally. If my energy was costing me money, if, if my energy use was, you know, if I had to pay, say, 20, 30% of my income towards the energy, then I would definitely change my habits, put the insulation, put different heating. I would be thousand times more efficient. But right now, energy is so cheap. And of course, the government, uh, government wants, to, wants to avoid uh, riots. <laughs> government mm -hmm. wants to make people happy so they have something to eat. They are, you know, getting by some minimal sustenance. And uh, if the energy prices were to go 10x because we account for all the CO2 emissions, environmental costs, this, 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 people would be very angry. And this happened time after time in Iran, in Kazakhstan, in Venezuela, in so many different places. But we will talk about the global affairs in, in part three. Right now, I just want to say, if energy is so cheap, it's so cheap, it's negligible, I don't want to spend my, my time, energy, effort, and thinking process how to save five pence because it's so cheap. Exactly. But, like, why does nobody... Yeah. Mars, I so agree with you. It's just so like basic 101. And we spoke about earlier, you, you introduced yourself, you said your interest is behavioral economics. And now it makes all sense. This is behavioral economics. 
you're a consumer and you act like a consumer. If you're in LA, in California, and water is free, you're going to use a shitload of water and you will not care about um, sustainability, conservation, because water is free. It's right there. And you don't give a shit what the, happens to the person next to you or down, down river the parcel because that's behavioral economics. It explains that people act in self-interest and maximize their own uh, benefits with a given cost. And if the costs are too low, then yes, they, they will over-benefit, they will over-maximize, and they will over-consume. They will run, I don't know, crypto farms, for example. I think that's another thing we'll talk about in a different episode, but just to link it back. If you make energy really, really cheap, people mine crypto like crazy because it's dirt cheap. But if you give energy the fair price, if you introduce carbon tax and make those bastards pay for the carbon they, they um, release, then will there be less crypto mining because it's just more expensive. It's, it's simple economics, right? Absolutely. 100% on that. I remember the change of five pence for the shopping bag. And previously, I was too lazy to bring my shopping bags with me, a small change, five pence next to nothing. Well, just, just the act of paying extra for the shopping bag was enough to change my behavioral economics because I am, I am still a consumer. I, I eat food, I consume resources. So on the one hand, yes, I behave like a consumer. And then I also behave like a creator. Like we are now creators. We are sharing our thoughts. You mentioned this, uh, you know, water supply in LA, but this is very interesting what United States is doing to Mexico. United States is consuming all the water from the Colorado River. By the time the river arrives to the border of Mexico, there is no water. United States just consumed all the water in the river for their plantations. And this is something similar which is China doing to Vietnam. The China is building all their hydropower. But again, this is more geopolitics subjects. Yeah, but no, you're, you're right. It's, it's climate change. And I think that's actually a really, really good transition, if I may step in, because um, I'll, I'll take the Colorado River example. So the United States, America, as we call it in Europe, they um, take all the water away so Mexicans don't have any more water. So Mexican farms, Mexican plantages, Mexican, I don't know, fruit, vegetable, potato farms. No, I think they do more corn than potato. <laughs> they will not have enough food. So people, if they're hungry, they will go towards, yeah, they will leave, right? Mass migration. And people, organizations, governments are choosing, are causing that mass migration by acting stupidly, right? Mars? It is difficult. It's very difficult to say because uh, they have the incentives to remain in power. The main incentive is to keep your job. And you keep your job by making some short, long-term, you know, short-term sacrifices. The entire system is, mm, yeah, the global politics, uh, the voting once every four hours. I don't think the politicians act so stupid. They just don't have awareness and they don't have incentives and they just uh, have so many different conflicting interests. So if I was to say right now, I will put myself into the position of the US politician. 
And I want to protect the border because, you know, illegal immigration is not healthy, is not sustainable, it is dangerous, it is criminal. I would say illegal immigration is bad. I would say this is, yeah, this is bad. So if I was a politician, what I would do? I will give the example that which is happening right now in this very moment. It, it was discussed in the White House. It is called heat pumps for peace because uh, United States is aware that the Europe is dependent on the gas imports from Russia. And by the way, I know that we are jumping between climate change and geopolitics and global governance. We really try to keep this podcast uh, specific and on the subject. Uh, so if I was the politician in the United States, how can I prevent illegal immigration? What I would do is to ensure that people are happy and prosperous in their own countries. So what I could do, I could literally uh, ship uh, energy technology. Say they, there is some deal with Iran that sanctions that uh, Iran and the nuclear power. Why don't you send Iran $1 billion worth of energy infrastructure? If Iran wants to have you know, energy, it doesn't have to be nuclear. It can be solar plus uh, hydro plus something plus energy storage. And same, same with Mexico. Like we were talking about the Colorado River. There is this whole, like saying, there's Napa Valley. There's all these agricultural centers in, in California. And if the United States is exploiting 100% of the water from the river, by the time it arrives to Mexico, it's just completely dry. People in Mexico have no food, no job. The farmers are poor. They are in debt. There is a failed harvest. They migrate to cities. From cities, they migrate to the US. So rather than taking all the resources for you, consuming all the fresh water so that people in Mexico have no food, no jobs, no hope, no money, maybe actually... Maybe we can just uh, arrange some deal because the law from 1800s, when there was a few settlers on this, you know, the wagons and caravans, when there was not even a railway to connect East Coast and West Coast, this law was applicable in 1800s. Now we have the changed reality, different population, different uh, consumer habits. So for the United States to spend $1 billion of clean energy infrastructure, for some desalination plants, for some technology that can uh, build the well, like drill the hole in the ground so that people can have access to fresh water. And this, is, this technology of accessing clean water is even more applicable in poorer countries like Africa. The amount of effort the women spend on going to find water it affects their education. If a woman has to spend five hours per day going to the water source back and forth, this is five hours of heavy labor, which is not invested into the uh, education, into employment skills. So I would say that it is morally and ethically correct for rich countries to donate clean energy and clean water infrastructure 
for the developing countries. And in that way, uh, say India will not have to build another coal plant. And I think that that is actually a very good business. I would like to link in the show notes a quote from Bill Gates. Basically, you know, Bill Gates is a controversial figure, you know, founder of the Microsoft. He used to be the richest guy in the world. Now it's maybe Bezos or Musk. And I like the, how uh, Bill Gates is talking that helping poor countries is a good business. And he gave two examples. One of them is it yeah, prevents illegal immigration because people who have energy, have food, have water, people have a good life. So why would they immigrate? It keeps these people safe and stable. There is no partisans, no civil warfare, no some crazy stuff going on. And another reason why helping poor countries is, is morally, ethically, and even for selfish reasons, okay, is that these people become your uh, customers. Like if you are the founder of the Microsoft, now these people can you know, buy the PC, buy the Microsoft products. So helping poorer countries is morally, ethically okay. And it also adds up on the pure profit, capitalistic uh, profit level. Yeah, I think this is it's beautiful. I really, I really, um, I love the way how you speak about how you put, put, put the dots together, how um, energy, energy policy, and politicians sometimes working, they're just working rational, but because they work rational, they do decisions and choices that are not ideal, and then they're impacting other countries. And exactly the other way around, you can use those things like giving people clean air technology to help stem immigration naturally, not with a border and with violence, but because people have clean energy, they have jobs. Honestly, they want to stay in Mexico. They don't want to go to America. They love their country. I mean, my ex-wife is Mexican, so they're very patriotic. They love their Mex they love their culture. They love their, I don't know, what do we do? We did some... Um, uh, like some local shows and um, the arena. Tacos, burrito, tequila. Burrito, playa, no, no. The, um, oh, what did we do? Like um, the toro, the um, uh, the animal, which is, okay, it's a different story. Anyways, <laughs> um, but they have their local traditions. They don't want to leave. But um, if we make better, smarter choices, we can stem that. And I think what I really like about the way you explain it, Mars, is the, the, the dots you put together. And also bring it back to the behavioral again. Yes, politicians are acting rational. They're acting exactly like they're supposed to act because they are rational people. And I think that's beautiful. And you just explain it in a way which I think is absolutely amazing. <laughs> we are coming to an end, however, of our episode. So I think there's there are two more things I want to do. And uh, one is if you can maybe just summarize the hopeful versus hopeless a little bit. Yes, there are some data suggests and it's not looking good. Maybe just summarize those two, where we actually stand right now, where it's going. And then at the very end, I want to um, end this episode with a positive message that I think you and I, we both will both give our own um, two cents. But um, I think Mars and I, we're both doing a lot of personal development. We believe in the good of people. We believe that there is a solution. There's change will happen, but it will be for the it will, things will get worse. Things will get better. But at the end, I just want to end on a positive note. So, yeah, what does the data say? Hopeful versus hopeless. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm, data, 
as is clear and there are tipping points beyond return i think the in the next couple couple years maybe a decade we will see even more extreme weather events at the same time i remain hopeful because the human ingenuity creativity passion is the great resource i will give a quick example for instance i am going on a flight and i'm taking a bus to the train station train to the airport and then i'm flying somewhere but if i realize that oh it's late i will don't go to a local shop uh, to buy a newspaper i will not go to starbucks to get my coffee i will actually get a taxi directly to the airport and then if i realize that actually the the plane has already departed then i can decide actually i will change my plans i will actually stay at home i will book another flight so realizing where we are as the humanity where we are in the current current scenario of what's going on if we realize what is the name of the game then we can apply a better strategy being completely high on hope saying that yes i can do it yes yes we can do it all this positive thinking without any basis in reality that would be delusional so i like to uh, apply both ways of thinking at the same time yes it is too late no it is not too late and these two conflicting point of views that are paradoxically impossible to reconcile i am actually okay with it because yes the data is clear but us as the humanity we can still find a way we can buy each other more time we can adapt we can we can mitigate we can transform uh, so yeah both ways are correct and i'm actually hoping that you will find a way that is working for you because my personal evolution with this climate science with with different phases of hope grief desperation acceptance forgiveness this is an entire process that took me many many years of my own personal evolution and right now i'm in this state where okay these two conflicting point of views are both perfectly valid and i'm just hoping that you will get inspired to move forward in your own personal evolution nice beautiful yeah so yes yeah, so i think my two cents and my um my final words are um when you look at statistics when you look at data historically we are the best we have ever been as a as, as humanity so let me explain that when you look at um child percentage of people children who die child death rates when you look at people who are considered to be poor what is it below whatever two three five dollars in a day when you look at all the data, crime, I mean, just like seriously, simple example. I lived in New York City for a while. New York City in the 80s was so dangerous. Like Harlem, you could not go there as a white person. It was so dangerous. Now Harlem, just a bunch of hippies sitting around and drinking their flat white coffee and buying Himalayan salt for like $20 a pound. So the world has gotten so much safer, better, fair, just, 
And this is going to continue, I'm absolutely sure. Yes, there will be hiccups along the way. Yes, there will be problems. But as a society, I really see us moving in, in a positive direction, and I'm 100% sure that will continue. With that, I would like to wrap up today's episode and just give a quick outline. Um, the next episode will be about crypto, crypto technology, also how it relates to yeah climate change. And I think we talked already about a few things, fake news, companies. So yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. And thank you very much for listening today.